Revan had a mother and father, parents, ancestors, like all Jedi do. And when he awakened to his potential, I was there to see it. But where he was born, where he came from, I do not know, any more than I know where he walks now. Some said that Revan was born in the outer regions, beyond the Rim, and that's what called to him during the Mandalorian Wars. And after, it was the call of home. I know more, but it may not be enough for the answers you seek. player empathy thing is interesting because it's not just from playing sotor it's also i've no i keep noticing like little things popping up here and there like i'll watch a video on youtube or i'll see somebody tweet something but i have yet in all you know this about me i read a lot of like game design textbooks and like i've been looking at curricula and various other things for a project that you and i are working on together um and in it, I very rarely come across anyone who actually like tries to theorize how you get someone to interact with a piece of media in sort of like that empathetic way. Like, I think there's a lot of um, crit analysis of times when it happens. But when you're talking about like a creative industry, it's hard to find anyone who has actually said how to do it. I would agree with that in that, like, for me, player empathy is always something that, I don't know, a lot of game designers or writers, right? Then when they talk about game design and they talk about where do they want to put their budget for the money that they're spending on this product, yeah. it's usually in like game mechanics or in like core gameplay. And core, core gameplay is rarely, if ever, like we want the players to feel guilty about performing an action. Yeah. Like that if, if anything, right? It's a power fantasy. We want players to feel really powerful when they perform an action or we want players to feel really really good, right? About, you know, maybe shooting targets, right? Yeah. And if yeah. you make the target suddenly have a family with four kids to feed, well, now you've taken what have you taken away the pleasure, right, of your core game loop or of that core game mechanic? Yeah. And that's what I think about when I think of player empathy because my writer and my designer sometimes fight. The designer's like, this is something that's really fun, and here's how to give an appropriate reward to an appropriate risk. But I think that, you know, for the project that we're working on, you read a lot about that in game design, like, theory and game design textbooks because game design is about, right, like, measuring that balance of how much does the player have to input for the output that the game gives them. But yeah. I think that's too rudimentary. I think we should move past from that. Because yeah. for me, player empathy, getting players to care not not so much about which actions they perform from a tactical or a civilization standpoint, right? Yeah. But which actions do you choose to partake in, right? And how yeah. do those actions make you feel? Yeah. Well, because there's a certain like utilitarian logic that not even logic, utilitarian morality that underlies even how like I guess I don't know what else to call this, like the the savior mechanic, if you will. In other words, it's very oh easy. Oh my god! To, yeah, it's very easy to map that kind of um, like power fantasy onto a savior 
onto someone who is like saving whoever like or, or helping like the downtrodden or whatever like that works no but yep it, sorry go, uh, no, i was gonna say i have been okay. wanting to talk about that because like there are two big uh, you see this in media all the time, in movies all the time. Yeah. And I think we've talked about it before, but you have the outlaw, right? Or the outsider, yeah, right? Yeah. And you have the savior. And usually in video games, you are the outsider who saves people, right? Like think of yeah. every single RPG, yeah. right? Like, oh, I can't find these 10 leather pelts. I need someone to go get 10 leather pelts. Thank you for saving me from the cold with these 10 leather pelts, right? Yeah. And I know what's funny. It's a fetch quest, right? But like those 10 leather pelts add up over time to something that actually becomes like, oh, now you just started as Joe Schmo from across the street, but now you're like Sir Joe Schmo of the 70 swords because yeah. you're actually the hero. You are actually someone who's of high importance, right? And we kind of put that onto the player or the hero's journey, especially like in role-playing games um, or oh, actually, especially in like single-player games, right? Where you start as a character who could, who could say is well-established, right? Or you start as an average person like in The Last of Us. Yeah. Or you start as Lara Croft and she's right already incredible, but it's kind of her origin story of slowly becoming a survivalist and becoming like the hero of her own journey, Yeah. right? That, that you become the savior, that every culture or every place you go to in that game, right, is something that you have to impart upon yourself. But if you are always the savior... Do you ever gain empathy? I don't think so. I think I, I mean, you can, you, because here's the thing, like empathy implies that you sort of, a sort of, how should I put this? Like that you and the person you empathize with are sort of on a similar level. Um, you may have power over them in some respect, but the idea is that like you could possibly be in the position that they're in. Whereas like, you know, if you're, I don't know, <laughs> if you're, <laughs> if you're playing, let's say God of fighting and you're a character named, I don't know, Kratom, God of fighting, <laughs> God of fighting with, with the main character Kratom, which is also a drug, <laughs> but anyway, oh, the point wow. is, but the point is like in that scenario, you're not going to ever be one of like the villagers that you protect. You're never going to be in the position of being that abject or that subject to things that are happening to the NPCs that you save. And so to me, that reaction that you have, in like the emotional reaction that you have is pity. It's not empathy. Empathy and pity are not the same thing because pity implies that you, you feel for someone, but you feel for someone because of their abject status. In other words, they're difference from you. Whereas empathy, you feel for something for someone because of the similarity, because you you sort of recognize in them something that could also be true of you as well. Right. And that's different than sympathy as well. Like a lot yeah. of people usually say empathy and sympathy are the, aren't the same thing. And I've met people that are like, they are the same thing. And that's when you need to get out of the car yeah. and <laughs> just take, take the fall damage. Um but I, I wanted to talk about this as well because I had just finished up an amazing GDC talk, I think, from 2016 called Forget Protagonists, Writing NPCs with Agency for 80 Days. Yeah. Uh, 80 Days is a like an indie game that was done dur during, I think it was Inkle Studios. Um, and Meg J uh, Jayanth was explaining like how she went about writing empathetic stories 
yeah. for her non-player characters, but in order to do so, had to decrease the amount of power or age, like, I don't want to say agency. That's the wrong word. Because in 80 Days, the player has a lot of agency. It is a choose-your-own-adventure. So, like, your choices, right, matter. That's yeah. how you communicate with the world. But she actually ended up having to, let's call it, depower the player in that the player wasn't a savior. In 80 Days, right, it's about um, two French... In 80 Days, it's around the world in 80 Days is yeah. the novel it is based off of. And you're basically traveling around the world to many different cultures. But what she didn't want to do was have the white savior complex. And so she talked about the many different ways she wrote NPCs to say that no matter what you as the player do, they are still going to go off and do whatever they want or they have their own lives, right? Yeah. And for me as a writer, that was really incredible and really powerful. But in an indie game where you have that, I don't want to say have that freedom, but you have the flexibility, right? And maybe like yeah. it's a smaller team. So it's kind of all of the decisions are yours to make. You can write protagonists or write player characters that every time they're giving a choice, right? That character isn't going to remember it. They're going to be like, thanks, and then move on. Versus yeah. when you look at something like The Walking Dead, they're like, this person will remember it. Your choice will have impact, right? Your choice to say, do you go solo in your K-pop band or do you duo in your for a duo K-pop band, yeah. right? Actually influences the other character. They choose yeah. your choice. You exactly, see? yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, if the, everybody always chooses your choice, then you are always right. And I think that's where it breaks down for me when we game design. Yeah. Because in a game, if the player is always right, like the customer is always right, they're never going to actually see it maybe from the designer or from the projected experience of the experiences perspective yeah well also like i think there's a certain resistance so we should also talk about sort of the the broad strokes differences between say like what you can get away with in like mainstream games so-called triple a games versus sort of previously what we identified as that like indie trying to be triple a tier and then like you know the turbo like bottom of the totem pole like indie level because the thing because the thing is I'm not saying this because I mean, I've made the argument in the past that there's sort of like industry constraints on the sorts of like content that you can produce. That's not the argument that I'm trying to make here. It's that when you're talking about someone who's making a game without necessarily like having some sort of like arbitrary success, like metric in mind, it means that they can make a game that might do things that seem like a bad idea, like making a game that makes you feel like shit constantly like that's actually like for for a mainstream like triple a title that's kind of a bad idea because i mean you it, you may ha you may have elements of the narrative or, or sort of like the story that have moments that are sort of like a gut-wrenching tragedy but the game can't do that the whole time otherwise it's gonna turn a lot of people off and i mean i have a game in mind that isn't necessarily of the type that makes you feel like crap all the time but it is of the type that's related to something that I was saying before, which is that like it puts you as the player in the same sort of like what I'm going to call subject position. So like you personally as the player and sort of like the representation of yourself, your avatar in the game, you yourself as the player, you are in a similar situation to the like other non-player characters in the game that you have some effect upon. Um, the name of this game, and you are familiar with this, Lauren, because I played it on stream once, is We'll Die Alone. And in this game, 
I kind of have to spoil it. So if you, I highly recommend playing this game. It's amazing. It's a student game. It's by um, a designer named... My, I looked it up. She only has Ariana on her on her Twitter. It's um, at A-R-I-R-A-V. So go check her out because her game is great. Um, she's an Italian who's living in the UK. It's a student game. And she, she, she produced it as a student project. But the thing is... So go play it. Okay, now I'm going to spoil it. <laughs> in this game the thing that you as the player are expected to do is to sort of help people by erasing particular memories, usually traumatic memories. And you can do it well and you can do it wrong. In other words, you, you can actually succeed and you can screw up. Um, and the game progresses regardless of whether or not you succeed or screw up. And you come to, and then this is the, the spoilery part, what you come to realize over the course of the game is that actually this is being done to you as well. And at the very end of the game, you actually have to do to yourself what you just did to all of these other people. And so that creates an empathetic moment precisely because you have put yourself in the same position as these like characters that you had to act upon. And and I can say from when I played it, I was kind of messed up when the, when that happened. Like Lauren, Lauren, because I because I had failed. So so the thing is, like, you have to erase as many of your own memories as times you failed to help someone else. And I failed a lot because <laughs> yeah. I didn't understand that about the game. And so I, I was put in this crisis moment where, like, my own self and like my attempt to understand who the player character was was made more difficult because I had fucked up. Yeah, and you actually, you forgot so much that, like, your entire life was screwed over. Yeah. Just completely screwed over. Yep. I don't know. I think that's, okay, so as a student game, right, as saying, like, that's even, I don't want to say it's um, below indie in terms of, like. Well, not below indie. Obviously. It's like, it's like sort of the base, in, like, what the, I would consider the base well, level. It is base level, and I would say base level in that it's the highest, highest, highest risk, right? So yeah, no one's going exactly. to come to you with $100 million and say, thank you so much for making Will Die Alone. Here's $100 million to go make a, a bet. Although Versus, they should. <laughs> although they should. They yeah. should. But but there is a rare, there would be a rare yeah. individual with $100 million in their pocket. Yes. Yes. Right. It is, is what we're talking about when we say the base level. Right. Um, no one's going to pay that for my Skyrim mod. One, it's a Skyrim mod. And, and yes. so it would have to be Bethesda. <laughs> um, and two, they would probably just hire me instead of right giving yeah. me just money off the wazoo. So I'll yeah. take it. Now, I don't know. I, I do wonder, though, if that's I think it's possible to do in a AAA title. And okay. And I've seen it in AAA titles that are more of the RPGs, which I guess is why I was kind of honing in on it, because I see it done well there. Okay. And so I'll talk about my empathetic moment with the game okay. for me, which was in Dragon Age Inquisition. And you I am also... Back to this game. <laughs> you always talk about... <laughs> Lauren, always... By the way, everyone, Lauren is constantly talking about this game, and I constantly have to listen to it, but please go ahead. But you played it. I did play realized. it. I did like it. It's now, to be fair, so I am going to ruin a, a very crucial mo romance. And if you've actually played the game and you've played this romance, knowing that I was a Lavalin um, or a Lavellan, uh, I am going to ruin the soulless romance for you, everyone right here. So just la 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 la. Um, if you've been on Twitter, this game did come out in 2014. <laughs> so I think that by now, if it has not been spoiled for you already, um, 
it will now be spoiled for you here in the good Lord year of our Lord 2021. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So for me, my biggest empathetic moment was when you play uh, role-playing games, particularly Bioware games, right? One of the biggest pulls of these games is the smooching, right? Which alien-er, right, do you get to kiss? And that's yeah. from the Mass Effect series. Um, but in Dragon, it's just which, in Dragon Age, it's which amazing character, right? Do you get to, you know, be a, like, be a part of their story? Yeah. And Inquisition is no, uh, is no exception, right? I chose, like, in my first playthrough, I was um, I was a Lavalun, and I wanted to romance Colin for the lols because is, <laughs> in Origins, I was a mage, and I, like, hit on him, and I knew that he liked me, and he ran so fast in that game that they broke his animation because you could tell the players could catch up with him, and so they shuttled his animation away, and I thought this was hilarious. But when it came to uh, Dragon Age 2, you weren't able to romance him. He was also in that game. And he was actually also in Dragon Age Inquisition. Yeah. So I chose to romance him. And it actually was pretty standard. I thought it was going to be a hilarious romance. It was probably going to be a little tragic. I was a mage and an elf, right? And here's this guy that hated mages for like the entire game. Like he was murdering them on the streets. And then suddenly was like, wait, I'm the bad guy. And then it turns out that it was really all about him becoming to terms with I'm the bad guy and how do I become a better person? And also I'm just a really big, like, hunky puppy. And I was like, okay, this is, you know, a basic, like, romance, but I put the time into it, I put the effort into it, and I got, right, I got a romance out of it. So for my second playthrough, I also played another Lavellan because I am a sucker for the Dalish storyline, I guess. Yeah. And I decided to basically take every situation that I was in and then do the reverse choice. So of that, I ended up deciding to romance Solus. <laughs> this is a bizarre choice, but this is a oh, it was a bizarre choice. But I will say that in the first the first playthrough of it, I was intrigued, and I was like, I don't know why, but I like this guy, but I think he's evil because every guy that I like is evil, and you know, I just I'm not getting a good feeling from him. By so the way, Lawrence is in a relationship right now, so. Oh, but he's actually perfect. <laughs> no, it's just like, and, oh, and, and, poor guy. <laughs> poor guy, he's evil. No, you're not. He is, he's, he's a Hufflepuff. He can't be evil. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Um, I romance Solas, and for all of you who romance Solas, I think for me the biggest empathetic moment was the longer you got into a relationship with this character, the more tenuous it became. It could really seemed like, yes, like they really loved you and it was like a really deep romance. And suddenly you get to the last romance scene where they take you to like this exclusive, like exotic, like Dalish grove. And they're like, I really have something important to tell you. And then they go, okay, the markings on your face are slave tattoos. And you're like, what? And they're like, yeah, actually those were to brand you for like the master that you were worshiping because your entire religion doesn't exist. And now, right, as like, you are a Dalish, that's your entire culture. They're like, the truth you had to tell me was that my entire culture is a bunch of bullshit? Like, one, that's already like, this is terrible. And then yeah. two, they're like, yeah, also I'm breaking up with you because actually this isn't a good idea <laughs> and I shouldn't be in a relationship right now. And up until that moment, they will call you like Mavinan, which is like my love. And they'll be like, sweetheart, like, I love you. Like, they are just all up in your face and then as soon as they break up with you they don't even call you by your name they don't call you like any sort of like nickname or a thing they just go oh inquisitor and they never like say hello 
or good morning or like goodbye like your other companions will be like oh hi how's it going they're just like yeah, yeah. they get colder to <clears throat> you after they break up well there's like, a reason well, for that especially in his case I mean, especially in his case, yes. there is a reason. And I'm yeah. not going to spoil anything more than the yeah. romance in today's. But once again, <laughs> if you do not know. <laughs> but it gets worse and worse. I, I, I don't want to say worse. It gets more and more deep. It gets yeah. more and more complex. And I think that this is the crucial empathetic moment for me in a AAA role-playing game. In that all of this time, the player is used to putting in the money and getting the cookie. Right? Yeah. In a relationship, in many games, it is transactional. And Bioware has always pushed that envelope. And this is the first romance where no matter what your Inquisitor does or says or wants to do in any of the DLCs, even if the Inquisitor goes so far as to say, I will give up everything for you, that character is like, sorry, that's, I'm glad and I still love you, but that's just not we're not meant to be okay like you know yep. there's still a d designer in the director's chair <laughs> and i have a budget to keep yeah but i think that's really important because players are so used to getting their way yeah that when i was broken up with in that scene i was like damn this is how all of the guys i've ever broken up with feel right now <laughs> This is how they felt. I was like, you know, your culture sucks. And <laughs> wow. <laughs> and That's a good I'm leaving. Turn. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, this was like back in, you know, Midwest, Missouri. Hi, your non-existent white American culture. So, sorry, 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 Dan, your culture sucks. And those tattoos that you have on your face, they're actually a sign of how slavish you are. <laughs> how slavish you are to this American. Yeah. Uh, I will say all the Dan's that I have met and known in my life, you actually are all great. Um, let's go with another name like Chris. Chris. Okay, Chris. Uh, yeah. I don't sure. know. Chris is, a, Chris is a, that's the first thing that came to Bertrand. my brain. Bertrand. <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but Why so. Why go with Joe? Why I don't know. Cause I. Yeah, or cause John. Jo Michael. Cause, no. Matthew. No. Matt. <laughs> right, Mark. Luke. John. Mark, it's like Luke, one other biblical John, name is Andrew. Titus. <laughs> Titus. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you, everyone, for showing up to the Foodie Dashi podcast. I am. <laughs> as, I am Nicholas. As, not as, a name of as, as, as like eight thousand minutes into this episode, we introduce ourselves after taking a weird biblical turn. Anyway, the point that I was trying to make <laughs> in response to that is okay. You're you're right, but I don't think that's actually different from what I was saying earlier, which is that like the game like allows a piece of it to be that. In other words. And it's also worth noting that Lauren, what you just described is, oh, Lauren is dying, so I need to make sure that she's still alive. Okay, Lauren is still alive. So the the bit that you mentioned is voluntary. It's like a, it's a hundred percent voluntary. In fact, you actually you have to actively seek it out. Not only that, but it's also a fraction of like the total like narrative thrust of the game. The reason why I use the example of Will Die Alone, even though it's a much 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 smaller game, is that it's the entire game. The entire game is that. And so it's like the identity of the game is trying to get you to empathize in a particular way. Whereas in the case of Dragon Age Inquisition, you're right, it is there. I don't disagree. But it's like a side quest, essentially. I like, see. Uh, you're saying that like in Will Die Alone and especially in these other indie titles, we can get an experience that 
can increase player empathy, right? And we can yeah. analyze that because the, especially when a game is designed around making you the subject of the game yep, exactly. that you have been playing versus yeah. in a title that is more AAA, it's just always a f- like a function, right? Or a feature yeah. of the game. It's a feature of the game. Experience. Well, and also it's it's a it's a bit of the the Bioware problem. So in, in an argument that I'm currently constructing and that hopefully you all will get to experience at some point, I make the point that like, games that sort of center on choice and like where choice is really sort of the big deal and meaningful choice in the way that bio game i mean i'm not trying to like discredit bioware in any respect like i think it's actually they they have really achieved the thing that they set out to do but there is an inherent problem in approaching a game in that way which is that in order to allow for that seemingly like limitless range of possibilities and character choices you end up creating a player character who's a kind of non-entity or, or a sort of like in in an empty vessel into which you can pour whatever whereas i guess what i'm trying to argue is that if you want a, like a total game that sort of like teaches you slash trains you or educates you in how to empathize in a particular way it actually has to fix you and and fix not fix in the sense of like you were broken but it has to like fix you in place it has like it has to have a predetermined idea of what you're going to be in the game and it can't really let you stray too far from that okay so kind of bridging off of that though and i because i am you know, in the process of like reading this argument that you're making i will say you're hitting on something that we as writers or maybe narrative designers, right, as well, have kind of hit on and touched on a lot. And that's one about, are you a blank slate character or are you a fixed character? And the reason why we kind of call it the Bioware problem is that Bioware and a lot of their titles, especially after 2012, fix you right in the middle. So for example, there is Skyrim. And I would say Skyrim is actually more of an indicator of places where you are completely blank slate. Because you don't exist in the universe. Now, people call you the the Dragonborn. Is that? that Yeah, Dragonborn, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, Uh, They call you you the Dragonborn because you have, you really have no, you are no character. And actually, I'll go so far as to say Bloodborne does this as well. You are no character. Now, the mystery of Bloodborne is uncovering who you are, right? And the mystery of Skyrim is you were never there to begin with. Yep. Because even if the world, say, you, is a sandbox, and if you kill everybody in the village, they don't come back, right? I mean, in, in, well, in Bloodborne, you kill everybody in the village, and they also don't really come back. So yeah. there we go. They're the same. But in Bioware, what you have is something from Knights of the Old Republic where you become the character that the story is setting you up to be. Yeah. But in Star Wars The Old Republic, you are actually already a marker you already have an identity and it's the same when you choose your starting race and your starting class yeah in any of the well i'm not any of the dragon games dragon age origins and dragon age inquisition yeah but in dragon age 2 which is still one of my favorite titles maybe my most favorite dragon age give or take inquisition <laughs> which i continually bring up but dragon yeah. age 2 uh, which i should bring up more <laughs> um does establish you as someone fixed your hawk yeah right and you have someone fixed you have that identity and they actually pulled that directly out of mass effect right in mass effect you're commander shepherd you do have an identity and so the bioware games honestly had recognized the problems of their own right fallacy of creating a blank slate character and decided to push it into the other direction but that in of itself right having played those games 
also presents us with a problem yeah. because now you're fixed with a character, but you yourself, the player, are a, a different character and you're making different choices. So you can only stray so far from the character that you are. And then if you have no, if you don't really get into the lore and you don't really know the character you're supposed to be, yeah, then you already are acting outside of that character, but the choice is allowed. See, but the thing is like, I, I'm, I'm going to, I like your argument because it actually sort of forced me to actually think about this more thoroughly because I believe you can have a relatively fixed predetermined character and still they function in the game as a conceptual blank. And I'm glad you brought up the example of KOTOR because Revan is exactly this. Because Revan has this history that you keep getting told over and over and over again by other characters. But you as Revan... By the way, I'm spoiling this because technically you don't discover that you're... Again, okay, this game came out... This is a like, really old game. <laughs> like if you don't know that your main character is Revan, then you know, go... Go kick rocks. <laughs> Honestly. No, but to be fair, for all of you youth out there that don't know what we're talking about, go play Knights of the Old Republic. It's a really great game and you can play it on Steam. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, okay. okay, like long story short, you discovered that you are Revan. This guy, this this evil, supposedly evil guy that you've been told about by every you know character in the game, including like your primary companion who is a Jedi. Um, but the thing is, the version of Revan that you are as the player character, as the player. Um, has had that has been cut off from that past and you have to sort of rediscover your revenness so to speak and the thing is over the course of the game you can be any kind of reven you can go back to being the bad guy reven or you can be what is generally considered the canonical ending of the game you can become a good guy reven or some or like anything in between you like and that has to do with the the basic mechanics of how like light side and dark side work in the kotor games so that's the point that i'm trying to make is that you have a relatively fixed character someone who's presented to you as having a history and an identity but the thing is from the perspective of the player it's functionally blank and i think that's also true of shepherd in mass effect as well I wouldn't I would disagree with Shepard okay. in that Shep Commander Shepard is either one of two things and at the end of the day Commander Shepard is always going to do the right thing. It's just how they do the right thing that changes. So for example, okay. Commander Shepard is meant to say save save the um I was going to say save the planetary systems. Sure. <laughs> um it's supposed to right save the galaxy from right the the Geth and yeah. the Reapers. Yeah. Right? how Commander Shepard does that, right? Functionally, which is what the player has control over in general with games is usually how they take an action, Yeah, gets you there. But Commander Shepard always does the right thing. There is really only one ending in Mass Effect. Okay. And because there was only one ending in Mass Effect 1 and only one ending in Mass Effect 2, that's really why people hate Mass Effect 3. They talk about it as if like, oh, well, there was a binary choice or they released it and now there's three choices. Yeah. The real reason why people hated Mass Effect 3 was that it was the first time they didn't actually have choice or agency of how they did something. They were told what they needed to do. Yeah, yeah. And that's largely in part because of the director wanted to wrap it up that way, wanted to give that choice to them to show them that, no, at the end of the day, you do have to make a decision with lasting consequences. But because none of the decisions you make as Commander Shepard truly ever had lasting consequences, it fell off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I think that with now with Revan, on the other hand, the reason why Revan did really well, and a lot of people actually don't feel the same about KOTOR 2, though of the two experiences, I think KOTOR 2 is more fun. It's a better game, yeah. It's just a, yeah, I think it's a better, like, 
Mecha- I don't want to say Metroid Prime's th- better. I like. I would both. say, but no. I mean, I, okay. Mechanically, it's more engaging. Okay. And, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. 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 It's, there you go. It is a mechanically more engaging experience. I would. I definitely agree with that. But the reason why people feel is that it, I think it felt shorter is that you truly didn't really like. You truly were a blank slate. You yeah. really were just some person then came came out of nowhere. Yeah, you were just and a rando. Then, yeah. Yeah, and the reason why Revan canonically is good is actually not because players are like, we are all light side Jedi. It's actually because Revan becomes the master of the protagonist of KOTOR 2. But the reason why we say Revan and then the protagonist of KOTOR 2 is precisely the problem. Revan was about not only mirroring the player's actions, so how they do something, but also matching it to what, right? they accomplish at the end, yeah. all based on the player's own why, why they decided to choose those actions. And when presented with the information, you can be a dark side Revan all the way through, yeah. presented that you are always dark side, and then get the light side ending, I think, by just making all of the light side choices at the end. Like somehow you had the well, actually, you only have to moment. Well, actually, you only have to make one. Um, it's the moment okay, when, it, yeah, when Bastila is taken captive. Like there's literally just one thing you have to do in order to get the good ending as opposed to the evil ending yeah okay that's what i was thinking i was like there's something i was like there's really something simple here that you only have to do one thing but i'm not going to tell anybody what it is in case you guys do play but there is yeah you should absolutely play you only have that's what i'm saying though right is that because there is really only one thing you have to do right players realize hey just like in real life if i was a jerk the entire time and suddenly people went in order to spite people most people are jerks to spite others then they realize wait i actually was being a jerk to spite others but that was actually who I always was, was spite. <laughs> oh God, no, I am going to do the opposite in order to spite you, which means doing the right thing. Nah, two, right? Two plus two plus one. Yeah, okay, I got it. Did it. Um, but I'm sure there's someone out there right that did it. And because it was yeah, only yeah. one choice and they could easily see that was the choice, they took it. And now they go, ha. But in KOTOR 2, it's actually the sum of your choices. Right, that leads to the type of impact and the consequences that have at the end. And even though there yeah, is yeah. one pivotal scene that actually kind of determines what you do, and since it's also kind of possible to be gray-ish, which then becomes good or something, yeah, and then forces like another change that it's just Kotor two is very it's very complicated because yeah. it's the sum of your choices, right? Not just a single choice. And I think yeah. that's where modern gaming and AAA gaming has gone, which kind of gets us further and further from this player empathy argument. Well, no, actually, because- it, I don't think it does. Because one of the things that we we have sort of stumbled upon and that I hadn't really thought too much about, I had started to think about it, was the sort of like, it's almost like a perverse continuum. Because the thing is, choice is fundamental. Because generally what you're talking about, you're not... I mean, there are choices in RPGs that are like, okay, so like which spec of which particular class am I going to go? Or it's like, you know, which spells am I going to level, et cetera. Like th- those are more mechanical choices. But a lot of the the narrative choices you make in games are also moral choices. And if they're moral choices, then they speak directly to this question of empathy. Because the whole point is that like, by making a moral choice, especially when you're relating to another character, like, you know, in the classic telltale sense, like, you know, X character will remember this. So like you say something or you do something in the game and that character is now their branching paths have sort of changed because of something that you did. Like that's a moral choice that you made because it's about your relationship with them. Okay. I am so glad that we actually ended today's episode (laughs) on moral choices because now for everybody that subscribes to our Patreon, you are actually going to get 
an in-depth look at what is a moral choice and what is morality and ethics. Because I think that this has been an amazing discussion and kind of diatribe into what makes player empathy. But I am so looking forward to the ensuing debate that is about to happen here. So everyone, if you don't know, Furudashi Podcast does have a Patreon. Please go ahead and subscribe where we'll talk more about Star Wars and all of those awesome games. Maybe even a little bit of Dragon Age. Maybe tell people what the Patreon is. Oh, yeah. Patreon <laughs> is patreon.com slash Pod. Yep. Right? Yep. And so we have one tier right now. You'll have access to all of this. And when we open up our new tiers, we'll go ahead and grandfather you in. So just please come on right now. Uh, and we hope to see you there. Mm-hmm.